Have you been searching for a Christian clothing brand to proudly wear and support? A brand fully founded in the Word of God, sharing the good news through beautiful designs and a powerful message of truth and love? Friends, look no further. The Fountain Sheep is a gospel-centered brand seeking to lift up believers all over the world, reminding them that they belong to the Good Shepherd and they've been given power to overcome evil and be the shining light in this dark world. In fact, they believe in generosity and they go out and give 20% of all net profits to churches and outreach ministries like the Dream Center in Los Angeles and expanding the kingdom in Venezuela. If you want a brand that's just perfect for you for sharing the gospel, then go to thefoundsheep.net or at thefoundsheepbrand on Instagram and find out how you can buy these wonderful designs to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that time again. It's Greek for the Week. I'm Chris Palmer. Let's open our Bibles and get right down to the original language, the Greek. God bless you. It is the Greek for the Week podcast. We have a good show for you today. But before we get into the things that we're going to talk about, can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the Greek for the Week podcast and you say, hey, this is good stuff. It's deep. If you really want to help me, you can go to the podcast platform that you're using and just leave a five-star review. And if you feel so moved by the Spirit to leave a comment, that would really mean a lot to me. It helps to get our message here on Greek for the Week into the hands, or I should say ears, of other listeners and does does something for us. So just take a second, just leave a five-star review and a comment. And you know what? I would really appreciate it. All right, let's get into what God has for us today. Father, we bless this time, we bless your word, and we bless this study and the ears of those that listen. May they never be the same again. And I pray, Father, that it would produce fruit into their lives. It would help them to use their minds and their hearts and their spirit and their soul and their body to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts 2, 46 and 47, we're going to get right into it. Yep, we're in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out upon the Jews that were there in Uh, the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, the time where the Spirit of God would no longer dwell in temples, but it would come to live in the hearts of the people of God, fulfilling Ezekiel's promise when it says that I will give to them a new heart and take out the stony heart and put my Spirit in them. And we're in that day. We're living in that time. The Spirit of God is living in His people. And you know, there is a, a really interesting view on this theologically that the Spirit of God was poured out upon Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, so we see two outpourings of the same spirit, Acts 2, Acts 10. Uh, I believe Daryl Bach is a theologian. He's the one that was has made arguments for that. I like that approach. I actually used that approach in my thesis paper and talked about it. I think it does no harm to the fact that the Spirit of God is living inside of every person today who received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I do believe in the baptism of the Spirit, um, another outpouring of those, of the Spirit of God upon those who seek for the Spirit of God's empowerment. People ask me, uh, Pastor Palmer, do you preach or do you speak in tongues? Yes, I do. I, I do every day. I received that when I was 14, something that's been very real to me. Um, and I believe so, every, something all believers should seek is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I believe those that have it should look down on those that don't have it. They should encourage them to seek it, though, but it doesn't make us any better. And so I could talk on that another time. But if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, if you don't speak in other tongues, I would encourage you to seek it it made a tremendous difference in my life as a believer. I speak from experience, and um, that's been tested over... See, I received that in 1998, two years after I was saved. And I became... I always tell my church this. I became the evangelist. <laughs> I became the neighborhood evangelist, telling people about Christ on my block. And now I travel the world and do it, all by the grace of God. A little side note there for you. 
Acts 2.46, but let's focus on these two passages here. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, here we see something interesting, and that is, are you ready? The imperfect tense. Now, I love the imperfect tense because it is a signal to us. Now, when we say tense, and we, we use that a lot in Greek, you say, well, what is tense? Tense is how a verb, how a verb is relating to time. And so the imperfect is used often when the author, in this case of Luke, wants to describe something that has taken place uh, in, pa- in the past time. So it always, the, the, the imperfect always takes past tense. It looks past, added. It's past, but it's imperfect. It's not aorist. Aorist also is the past. I remember one time in Greek class, my professor said, what is the aorist tense? I said, it's, the, it's what we use. It's the past tense. And he looked at me like, Chris, how long have you been in this class for? It is not just the past. It shows the completed action that has taken place fully. The imperfect also takes past. That's why I was partly incorrect. Part of the reason why I was incorrect was it has the past, but it shows how an action is unfolding presently in the past. And the Lord added. So it's displaying an action that is unfolding. And because of this, it gives to us, it gives to us vivid, vivid detail here. Uh, well, why don't we read it in the Greek here? I, you know, when if you're reading Greek, I use the UBS uh, number five. That's a good, a good uh, Greek translation to have if you if you're into Greek. If you're not, if you if you don't understand Greek, I wouldn't go out and invest forty dollars. 50, maybe $60 into the UBS 5, maybe get a UBS 4. Uh, very, very s- small, minor differences between them. Really get into Greek before you go and do that because I remember one time, precious woman at my church, I was teaching a very an introductory Greek class. She goes out and buys the Greek Bible and I was happy, but she never used it and she gave it away because she didn't stick with her Greek. Most people don't, but it's okay. It's just enjoy your Greek, but I wouldn't make a big investment like that until you were really going to be committed to it. Are you ready? Uh, so part V, uh, part B, it says, Hode kurios prosatithe tos sozomenos kath emeran epito auto. Okay? Which is very simply translated, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, and prosatithe added is in the imperfect tense. Which means that when we look at the aspect of it or how it's being portrayed, it's being portrayed iteratively, which means that we could literally translate it. And the Lord added and added and kept on adding, adding, and continually adding. So it shows something, an action that has no intention of slowing down and has taken, is being taken place constantly and consistently. Which means that Acts 2.47, because of the imperfect tense, shows us that there's an outpouring of salvation as a result of what they were doing previously. So we see that in the word there, and, which is the Greek word they, uh, spelled uh, data, or excuse me, um, delta, epsilon, which is a conjunction. And here we call it a logical connective conjunction, which means that it's functioning or it's connecting this part or the uh, part B of verse number 47, or this sentence clause here, back probably uh, to the previous part of verse 47 into verse 46. So we know that the outpouring of salvation and revival was a result, first and foremost, of the Holy Spirit that was poured upon them. We cannot 
bring people to Jesus on our own. We have to understand that. that that's rule number one for evangelism, is that we're not going to see people saved unless we trust and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I tell this to people when I teach preaching classes, is listen, you can really, you can work out your sermons, you can work out your theology, you can work out uh, your teaching, but if it's not anointed by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be effective. It's just going to be an information dump. It has to be effective. And you know, when you're teaching and when you're preaching, you can be effective and efficient. Efficient means that you have all your information lined up the way it should be. You know what you're wanting to say, your notes are lined up, but that doesn't mean you're going to be effective, okay? It just means that you're going to have your information straight. Effective means you're going to have impact and there's going to be fruit and there's going to be results. When you give the altar call, people genuinely are getting saved. When you, uh, when you preach, people are getting convicted. It, it's really hitting home. That's what you want. You want both. But you can be effective without being efficient, which means that you can get up there and botch the Greek words, uh, get your theology all wrong, hopefully nobody notices that, and, but at the same time, people get saved. And I remember one time I was being so pedantic about making sure everything I get is correct. And we should be that way, but not overly to the point where it distracts us. I remember the Spirit of God ministered to me said, Chris, I can work through your errors, so don't worry, meaning that and I, and I thought back on it, you know, over the years, the stuff that I've preached, and I thought, man, and I wish I had never said that. Not that it was heresy, it just wasn't right. <laughs> you mean, Pastor Palmer, you haven't, there's times where you said things that were incorrect. Uh, yeah, of course. I haven't been right about everything. I've been growing. I, you know, I was speaking to a professor, he's an author, I'm an author as well, and he's, but he's a more you know, aged author, more seasoned author, if you will. And I said, and you know, I had, I said, you know, uh, Professor So-and-so, do you ever, are you ever concerned about some of the stuff that you wrote that maybe you don't agree with anymore? He goes, oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> and I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, do you feel bad about that? He goes, no, that's a good thing. I said, it's a good thing. He goes, it's a sign that you're growing. If you never were concerned about some of the things that you wrote, or I'm not saying it's bad or it's heresy or it's, it's that bad of a thing, but I mean, just, you know, you don't necessarily look at it that way anymore then that would be bad because it would mean you're not growing. You're not growing intellectually. You're not maturing. But there's a lot of things that I've taught in the past that I agree with, most of the things I agree with, just some things. But anyway, all that to say that the Lord can work through you not having it right all the time. The point is you want to be efficient and you want to be effective. And if you don't have the outpouring of the Spirit, you can't be effective in your walk with God. So the growth, number one, is a result of the Holy Spirit was with them. He's the one that gives the harvest. He's the one that leads people to Christ. So when you go street witnessing, telling people about Christ, or maybe with family members, trust and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to be prayed up. But number two, there's something else that we see here. It says day by day, attending the temple together, number one. And then we see here, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with generosity or with glad and generous hearts and praising and having favor with all the people. So it looks like they're doing two things there. Number one, they're attending the temple together. So they're still going, even though they're, they're, they're Jewish, they're still going to the temple because they had a they were still practicing Jewish tradition at that time. Okay, so we see in the New Testament that even Messianic Christians, those that received Jesus who were Jewish, they still practice Jewish traditions. And that wasn't imposed on Gentiles in Acts chapter 15, but we see that, that this is something they were doing. But they felt more that they could practice those because at this point in Acts 2, it hadn't become a theological question yet in the development of the church whether 
they should be or not practicing uh, their traditions as Jews. It's not what we're talking about here today. But they were going to the temple as Christians, as those that had received Jesus, as those that had the Holy Spirit in their heart, and they were glad to do it because they felt like they had a real relationship and connection to God because they had the promise of the Spirit in their lives, and they noticed the difference. Um, So we see them going into a community and being part of a community. So one thing that I want to stop and say here is that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of people, they want to be around other people that have the Holy Spirit in them. In other words, Christians want to be around other Christians, and Christians should want to be around other Christians, and Christians should find other communities of Christians to be a part of consistently. You know, and then it says here, and that's emphasized later, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. This is something that was being done consistently. They were going to the temple, and they were having people back to their homes. All right, now you say, well, I want to have, you know, people that are proponents for house church. Well, remember that Christians didn't really start owning property until I believe it was third century. Okay, so they didn't have churches to go to. They, all they had was their homes. But they were making an effort to be a part of the temple and worship Christ from the temple. But the, all they had at that time was homes. We shouldn't revert to the book of Acts and just go back to house churches because that's what they did then. Well, they also rode mules back then. You know, and they also uh, wore cloaks back then. And so it's just because they're doing it back then doesn't mean that we go back and do everything the early church did. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have churches. And I can tell you that anybody that's ever independently started a house church, to leave it that way, I've never seen a house church go well. It usually becomes rogue. People start fighting. There's no leadership. And it, it goes off the tracks. I have, I have seen it happen so many times in my, uh, in my, Tenure as a believer, and now speaking at age 34, I have some experience, okay? I've never seen one end up end up well. It, it, it can't stay in the home. It either grows and has to be no longer a host church or it dies. And people get into practices that, or just, I'm going to say heresy, but they just, it just gets mixed up, okay? Point I'm trying to make is though fellowship is good and we need to belong to a Christian community. So I want to give you some statistics here that might, that might interest you. Now, I didn't come up with these statistics myself. I'll pull them up here. I, I went looking for them. I know Barna has a lot of good statistics and people that are out here quoting Barna. Um, so this this statistic comes from a website, recklesslyalive.com, all right? Recklesslyalive.com. And they're quoting from the Barna report. Let's see, this was, this comes from, this is fairly recent, September 29th, 2016. So it's two years, but I don't think much has changed. And it says that, um, it's talking about millennials, which I am a millennial, described as age 22 to 35. So that would have shifted over. So now two years, it would be 24 to 37. Ready for this? Only two in 10 Americans. And I realize that not everybody listening to this podcast is American. It's okay. I would imagine America being such a Christian country, it's probably even less in whatever country you're from. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile, which is at according to the Barna Report, an all-time low. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out, and I can attest that I've seen that. I know a lot of people who still love Jesus, and I believe it, okay? You don't have to go to church to love Jesus, but if you love Jesus, you should go to church to be with other people who love Jesus. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance. I've seen it. Believing the church does more harm than good. And it's in their attitudes, it's in their Instagram posts, it's in they just don't want to go to church and be around leaders that have extorted their money 
and leaders that have hurt them and people that have, you know, upset them. I understand the hurt. Okay, we've all been hurt by church leaders. And being a church leader myself, I got to admit, there's probably times where I've hurt people. I can tell you I've never done it intentionally. But as a son, I've hurt my parents. As a brother, I've hurt my brother. As a cousin, there's times I've hurt my cousins, you know. And as a leader, I know there's going to be times where I hurt people, not intentionally. I don't walk into church every day and say, hey, how can I hurt somebody today, right? It just happens. Uh, you know, mix-ups. There's been times where I've done something I thought I was doing good and it ends up turning out bad. Okay, and finally, millennials are likely, at least likely age group to attend church by far, which is one of the reasons why, according to, uh, let's see here, according to baptistnews.com, an article from June 9th, 2017, okay, that the Southern Baptist Convention declined for the 10th straight year at a slower pace than the year before, why um, baptism has dropped to the lowest level in 70 years. And it goes on to later report that the, the um, Southern Baptists have lost over 1 million members. And which tells me why, or it, it even adds to religionnews.com, which says that the number of Americans, now this is really recent. This is from, this is, uh, I think this was, June 26, 2018, just a couple months ago, the number of Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 who have no religious affiliation has quadrupled in the last 30 years, being at 10% in 1986 and in 2016, which when the survey was taken, was 39%, which goes to tell me that people are leaving churches. They just don't want anything to do with it, but they love Jesus, but they don't want church. And we find they have substitutions like online church, Instagram church, the Greek for the Week podcast, right? And, you know, all these are great tools, but I don't think they should ever replace anything. I mean, if it's between listening to this podcast and going to church, this podcast can give you good information, but it can't take the place of what your pastor is preaching on Sunday mornings. And uh, so I have to walk the same line and say, look, this is keep listening to the podcast, but you need to have a pastor that shepherds you and watches out for your soul. I don't know you personally. I'm thankful for your viewership. You can always leave a message, but I can't watch for your soul the way that an actual pastor can do it. And I've yet to see online pastors been able to do that. I know there's chat rooms and things like that that they have now, but you and I know, you know, there's nothing like having somebody that knows you personally. A robot is never going to be able to take that place. I don't care how smart they get. You can never put a soul or empathy inside of a robot. I don't know of any robots that are empathetic. They just kind of do the job that they're programmed to do. You need to have an empathetic soul that's watching out for your benefit. And I'd love to do it for you. If you lived in Detroit, Michigan, you'd be welcome to Light It Today Church. You're welcome wherever you're at now, and I could look out for you um, as, as a pastor, which I serve today, but I can't do it on podcast. But you'll see here that as a result of this, them going to church and coming to their homes. Now, they had jubilant joy in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Probably was because they had the conviction that Jesus Christ was among them. Because didn't he say in Matthew 18, where two or more gather together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, where they come together. So Jesus was there, and they knew it. And they were glad, and they were happy, and they were generous, and they were praising God, and they had favor with people. So here's the principle. The more people saw them together, continually meeting themselves together, continually aligning themselves together. You know what happened? It served as an opportunity for people around them to observe their joy, to observe them coming and going, to observe them together in the temple. They saw the radiance. They saw the joy. They saw the love. 
And it was an opportunity to evangelize and witness. It's powerful stuff. And as a result of their coming together continually, the Lord added to their number day by day or continually kept on adding as long as they met people who were being saved. It's powerful stuff. And it goes back to, uh, well, you know, you see here in uh, um, Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 45, it says in the 45th verse, excuse me, 46th verse, and day by day, or kath hemeran, and then it says here in verse 47, day by day, kath hemeran, which means that the day by day attending the temple and breaking bread had to do with the day by day revival and salvation. I think that if we have spirit filled church, the more we have spirit filled church, there's revival. I'm going to end with this. I know there's a lot of people today that say, oh, I'm believing God for revival. We want revival. We want to see revival. We want, oh, God is going to move. But you got to go to church for that. That means that you have to not do things, you have to cut things out of your life. Life may be too busy, but we can only go to church once on Sundays. I mean, have you ever met people they just want to leave real fast? You know, it's like they have stuff up to the time they come to church and stuff right after church. And you know, it's like, whoa, if the Spirit of God started moving, right, would you be willing to cancel those plans? Would you be willing to start coming to church on Friday nights, on Wednesdays, on Mondays, if God really moved? I mean, maybe you're from Brazil, and I've preached down there. They have service every single night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, th- when I go preach in Brazil, it is service after service after service, and I'm happy to do them, but there's good attendance at those services because they value the move of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It's no wonder why Brazil has been in revival since, I think, the 90s. Was it 94, 92, maybe? Maybe even earlier than that, but they have been in revival. It's no wonder why Africa as a continent, okay, and all the African uh, sub-Saharan or even West African and sub-Saharan, you know, West Africa, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, um, these countries and even sub-Saharan Africa have been in revival for a number of years. And why the Southern Hemisphere, okay, has become the place of revival is because they make room for the move of the Spirit. And God adds daily, continually adds, such as those should be saved, even those in Central America as well. Okay, so the point of all this, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a church, find a church. Well, they're all hypocrites in church. No, no, no. Jesus said, love your neighbor. If you find yourself frustrated with people in church, the goal is not to withdraw. Not everybody's like the people who've hurt you. And number two is that when are you going to exercise your love? When are you going to have an opportunity to exercise your love if you're not around people you dislike? We've all been in churches where there's people we dislike, there's leaders we dislike. Look at it as an opportunity to show love towards the people who've hurt you. And God will bless that. But leaving church isn't the, isn't the excuse. Don't let offense keep you from the blessing that we see here in 2 verse 46 and 47 has, and that is going to church. Well, it doesn't say going to church there. Come on. Let's not be, as I said before, pedantic about it. That's the point of this. Getting together with other Christians, continually centered around Christ and the Holy Spirit, and coming together in Jesus' name. You'll never find a perfect church. You might go to church, you don't like the worship, you don't like the praise, you don't like the singing, you don't like the way the pastor's voice is, you don't like the youth pastor. There's always going to be things like that, but there's a blessing when you go where the Spirit of God leads you. Okay, God bless you. Remember, five-star review <laughs> on podcast. I would really, really so much appreciate it, and if you feel led, leave a comment. God bless. We'll talk to you next time on the Greek for the Week podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us further, you may visit us on the web at lightoftoday.org. God bless and good studying.